Hey guys, welcome to another broadcast of the Christian Cornerstone Ministry. Now, uh, this week itself is really awesome. Um, unfortunately, before I get into the excitement, I gotta let you know, for the sake of recording purposes, and I might end up coughing up in your ear. I've got a cold, which I'm trying to fight off. I just got it this morning. Awesome. So, I just kinda wanna let you all know that there might be a few interruptions, and we'll try to keep that down to none. Now, uh, today, the reason why it's so important, the reason why I'm so excited about today is this is actually going to be the first, uh, I don't even know how to word it, the first series, the first sermon, the first broadcast, whatever it is that you want to go with in the book of Romans. And we're going to go through the entire book, uh, starting in Romans chapter 1 and all the way to the end. Um, one of the things I've come to learn in this uh, you know, past year or so since I left my previous church is... Um, the interesting thing is, is, is I've been studying under John MacArthur, which I've been sharing that to you before, but I've also noticed the importance with verse-by-verse um, -verse preaching. Um, and I can't really dog people for this because, you know, some people don't know. Um, but, you know, my, my concern is, is that we have uh, pastors, which we would call topical preachers, which jump around. Um, they jump around the Bible, you know, to, you know and, and to get the feel. And they think that this is what God is calling me. And it's possible. But my concern is by by jumping around, by speaking on a topical standpoint the entire time and throughout your ministries, the, the, the concern there is that people aren't being fed properly or they're not getting their fill. Um, and what I've noticed through my own personal experience is that the best way to grow is through verse-by-verse -verse understanding of the context. And so what we're going to be doing is taking the first steps. You know, I was in prayer for the past two weeks, you know, wondering, you know, God, what's going on? Um, you know, I reached a dead end. I'm not sure what you want me to do. And then here I'm finding Romans uh, stand, standing out to me like crazy. So I did a little research, and it's, I'm not going to go into detail with that, but um, there's a uniqueness uh, behind Romans. Um, so I, took this, I decided to take those steps. Now, before we get into this, um, there's a couple questions on the live, if you're watching live on uh, Facebook. Uh, there's a couple questions I'd like you to answer, if possible, uh, to get your opinion, get your thoughts on that. Um, we actually, as of this past week, just got the audio broadcast, or the audio files, the audio recordings for this podcast, just about everywhere. Um, the main ones, Spotify, Google+, iTunes, um, there's some other ones, uh, Breaker, Radiocast, other names that I'm not familiar with, but we're pretty much everywhere. So, if you're, um, if you're subscribing, if you're following one of those broadcasts, you can actually check the link by going to our website, christiancornerstone.com, I'm sorry, .org. Uh, you can find the details right there. Um, now, getting into this, getting into the book of Romans, we're going to start with Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And this is actually the theme of the entire, what I would personally call the entire gospel. Um, because this, is, uh, this alone is the position that the Christian uh, should take when it comes to the Word of God. Um, as you know by the title, it is not ashamed. Um, which is exactly why I admire Paul. Now, this writing here, uh, which was written in approximately 56 AD, uh, so it's about 20 years into Paul's ministry, um, is, is unique. It's, you know, unlike some of other Paul's epistles, such as First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, uh, Paul's actually writing to Rome not to correct them on their flawed theology or their ungodly living or their false doctrine in general. But the church itself in Rome is sound in their doctrine. But they still need some sort of doctrinal and practical instructions when it comes to um, the gospel, when it comes to living out this holy and righteous life. So this is what the, the gospel, I'm sorry, not the gospel, this is what 
uh, Romans is. This is a letter to a church saying, you know, keep the good faith, and I'm writing to you, and I, I, I hunger to see you at some point. Now, starting off here in uh, Romans 1, uh, 16, and I want to encourage you guys, those who are uh, listening along, uh, or listening to this video, however it is you're getting this video, this broadcast, grab a notepad, grab some paper. Um, we're going to stick mostly in the book of Romans, but there's a couple points in which you might want to write down um, for your personal understanding or your, your personal spiritual growth, if you wish. Starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's first to the Jew, it is uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed the faith, revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous, as we went over in our last series, shall live by faith. Now, I want you guys to kind of, I want you to write these down. Put these down in a, on a paper, if you wish. Um, for those of you who are listening in on the uh, archive on our website, uh, down the road, there will be a link for a PDF file for you. But the, a couple points I want you to write down. One, Paul's not ashamed. Number two, he's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the second point we're going to be going over with. And the third point here is it is the power of God. Uh, and then it is for the salvation, is the fourth one here, for anyone who believes is the fifth one right there. Now starting with not ashamed. What is he not ashamed of? You know, this is kind of interesting as I was reading this. It was standing out to me. And by my personal preference, I admire Paul so much. Hello, Miss Mandy. How are you doing today? Um, but I admire Paul so much that he, I see him as an addition, or not an addition, but I see him as an extension of who Jesus Christ is. Because we have three years of Jesus Christ's ministry. Granted, the entire book, the entire from Genesis to Revelation, Old and New Testament, displays the character of God, which is the character of Jesus Christ. But I'm seeing more, or at least to me, it's revealed more through Paul. We've got like 13-some books in which Paul wrote, and in there you can see his character, which is, as I see, a reflection of the character of God, which is exactly where we need to be. Now, I'm not going to go into complete detail here, but starting off in Matthew 15, I was reading this the other day, and what's going on here is Jesus calls these Pharisees. He calls them He calls them names. I mean, he's, he's, not really, he's really not being that nice, kind of disrespectful, at least by our own perspective, is what we would see it. And more importantly, this is going not privately, but this is publicly and, you know, with them around. So he's basically saying it straight to their face, out with a whole, you know, a whole entire congregation of people. And what he says to them, he calls them hypocrites. He says that their worship is in vain. And he says that they are blind guides. And more so, closing up with this section uh, that stood out to me, he says, what defiles a person? It's not what goes into the mouth. Now, this is speaking of, uh, you know, food. But what he's saying here is that it is your evil thoughts, it is your adultery, it is your sexual immorality, it is theft, and it is false witness, and whatever else you can fit in this in category. Jesus is calling these guys out publicly. So it's pretty uh, pretty crazy. You know, th this isn't exactly the nice thing that we should do. This is not loving. It's not loving to call somebody a hypocrite. It's not loving to say that their worship is in vain and they are blind guides. And then furthermore, in, uh, I believe, I want to say I was just getting to that, the seven woes to the Pharisees. That's up next, or at least in my personal reading, I stopped there. I believe it's at, uh, I want to say Matthew chapter 23, perhaps. 
But that's where he goes in, you know, publicly woeing the Pharisees, saying, bros, you guys suck. And forgive my language, but that's what's going on. He's saying, you guys are blind guides. You have so much problems with you that you don't even know how to lead the flock. Now, this is not directly, it's not directly noted in Scripture, but this is what Jesus Christ is doing. He's calling out their sin. Now, he knows that there is unrighteousness in them. He knows that they will not turn into in repentance to him. But at the same time, he publicly pronounces it so that they have no means for saying, we did not know, that we were unaware of this. He's publicly announcing them and saying, this is your judgment. And essentially, if you do not repent of this, you are not going to like the final results. So that's what's going on in Matthew 15, and quite honestly, through the rest of the scriptures. And I was reading this in my studies, and it's interesting just how much judgment God does, or Jesus Christ specifically, does against the Pharisees. You see that a lot. One of the big ones that stood out to me was the fact that he curses a fig tree. Now, the fig tree was a um, symbolic reference to Israel, and he's casting judgment over it. Now, the question is, what does Paul mean that he's not ashamed? What is he not ashamed of? Or more importantly, is there any reason why he should be ashamed? And the question lies actually in the book of Acts. And I actually found this out in my studies, is that, uh, you know, here's, here's what's going on in the book of Acts. You know, it has a nice record of causing problems uh, within the first 20 years. In fact, if you want to look this up, um, Apostle Paul's resume... Um, you, you'll be able to find an actual resume that tells you just how qualified the Apostle Paul is for, um, for ministry, for being a pastor. And if anything, he's the most unqualified person out there, at least how we perceive ministers today. But he's got a nice little reputation uh, with, with uh, his past life, with his Pharisees, his friends, and his cohorts uh, that he'd follow around or that would, uh, he would follow. And, uh, you know, if anybody would have a resume, you know, of why they should keep quiet or why they should be ashamed, it would be Paul. Because in his ministry, he's imprisoned in Philippi, and you find this in Acts 16, and he smuggled out of Berea, laughed out of Athens, Acts 17, and though to be, and even though he was also called a fool in Corinth, and even stoned in Galatia. I mean, think about that. That's a nice little reputation. If there's any reason why you should not preach the gospel, it's one, I was stoned. They're going to kill me. You know, they're going to think I'm a joke. Um, you know, I'm going to have to, they're going to be hunting me down. So I'm going to have to be smuggled out of town. Um, and they're going to lock me up. You know, he had a, a nice little reputation there. So that's, uh, you know, there's, there's what he had to deal with. But even through all of this, he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to continue to preach this. You know, whether you accept it or not, I'm preaching this in hopes that some of you will come into salvation. Some of you will recognize this gospel, and some of you will come and believe. And furthermore, it also makes note that by him presenting the gospel to these people, they have no means to ignore. Right there, they're making the decision. Either I'm going to listen to the gospel, and I'm going to uh, you know, submit to Jesus Christ as my Lord, or I'm going to reject him right now. So Paul was basically, and even through our gospel, in our, in our ministry, and how we are to respond, how we are to present the gospel, is just that. We speak the word of God. If they hear it, awesome. If not, we've done our parts, and we pray that God moves in their lives somehow, so that they don't have to go across this judgment. Now, he's sitting in Ephesus, writing to the church in Rome, saying that he's not ashamed. And furthermore, this actually comes, uh, you know, it's a kind of a parallel. He probably has this in mind. Um, from a, a letter he wrote to Corinth um, in his early years. 
It says, uh, coming from 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, what I personally saw this a couple years ago was that this was a means of saying that, you know, the reason it's foolishness, I was, I was perceiving these Pharisees and these unbelievers as the fools. Now, while that is true, that's not the case. What's going on here is the non-believers in that day, uh, and even skeptics today, as we would see that, I've got a couple I know offhand, is that they see a man die on a cross. And, and they see that him dying on a cross could not be God. Why would God allow himself to be killed? In their minds, they could not even fathom why God would put himself up to die. It's foolishness. It's crazy talk. God would never do that. And it's even more foolishness to believe that this so-called God that did die could come, um, could somehow bring his own life back to life, his own body back to life. Now, to those who do believe, this is, this is the power of God, which we're going to get into that briefly as well. To the believer, it is not simply a look at a humiliation on the cross. It's more than just that. To the believer, it is about compassion. It is about a willing heart to take the punishment of the people he loves. And more so, it is the very God Almighty who has this power to bring his own flesh back to life after three days. And there's the true power. A God that's so powerful that death can't even stop him. Now, if there's anything that would cause you not to be ashamed of the gospel, it would be this. Your God lives today. Now, it's interesting, as I was listening to another series, another sermon, was uh, I came across a piece called the Alex Menos Graffito. And actually, if you give me a minute, I'm going to pull that up for those of you who are listening in. If I can find it quick, because I do not know where I put it. There it is. Now, what's going on here is this is actually, once it'll load, I'll uh, get this up for you guys. This was actually a depiction in the second, I'm sorry, the third century. Um, hopefully, I got these settings right. Awesome. Okay, this is actually uh, a piece of artwork, and it was actually just found in the 1800s, actually 1857, um, you know, on Palatine Hill. And it, the text, if you can read it, uh, if you actually can know this language, I personally don't. It says, Alex Mino worships his God. And you can see that there's a donkey on a cross. Now, this wouldn't be anything new. This, uh, this was something, you know, that they, they had to deal with this mockery. In fact, we can see it today that people mock Jesus Christ. But they mocked him so much that this gentleman, Alex Minos, was believed to be worshiping a fool. Now, the cross itself um, was the ultimate means of crucifixion. And there should be no means, no reason why a gentleman, a believer, would bow down to the cross, and a tool of execution, in order to worship somebody. But this gentleman here is. And by doing such, by seeing this, you can get a clear understanding that this would be a mockery of who Jesus Christ is. Now, with that being said, uh, there's a little bit more to this. You know, well, it says uh, that he worships his God. It's a solid confirmation that it is a mockery. Um, and the bottom line here, the reason I share that, was actually interesting. I want to get a replica of that. Was um, interesting about this, it's a good example that we should not be ashamed. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of anything. Um, and interestingly enough, we're going to get into some heavy stuff next week, which could be the stuff that which we should be ashamed of presenting. Um, but Paul is actually saying, the bottom line of this verse is, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care if you mock me. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I don't care if you think I'm weird. I don't care if you even stone me or even prison, imprison me, lock me in prison. 
or even cut off my head, which that did happen. You can threaten me, beat me, mock me, you can do all of this. But I will continue to preach the gospel and nothing less. In fact, it actually says in the book of Galatians that if anybody comes to preach another gospel, in other words, another message in which you have already been delivered, let them be cursed because they are presenting you a false gospel or even a deluded half-truth. Now, we've gotten to that. We've got there's, there's an idea of what we should be ashamed of and what we should not be ashamed of. Now we're getting into the gospel. As we said, it is the you know, he is not ashamed of the gospel, but what is the gospel? We're not going to be uh, going too much into it, to this, to the rest of these. I wanted to kind of stress the idea that the believer themselves have nothing to fear. So that's what we're doing here. You know, Paul himself, he appears to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Motivating, uh, motivating the believers uh, to believe, motivating them to, I mean, that's what they already believe, but he's motivating them to not be ashamed, to stand tall, to stand with courage, to stand in the power of God. And the gospel is the part in which he's not ashamed of. But the question is, what is this gospel? In the text, it actually says good news. Now, we often say that uh, the gospel themselves is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But actually, the gospel themselves is the entire New and Old Testament. And I say that because you can't really have any respect or fully comprehend or understand the good news without first understanding the bad. You know, And it starts off with, Adam and Eve sinned, which is the same we have here. We have sinned. We've been cast out of the kingdom. We have been, you know, by a curse, we have come into a hell. That's our destination. That's where we're going to be. But to God, he loves us so much that, you know, he's going to uh, put his son on the cross. And think about that. We'll get more into that later, uh, more on that uh, next week. But he has, he hates sin so much that he's willing to put it on his son and let his son die for it. I mean, that, that's, that to me says that we need to be holy rollers. We need to be righteous. We need to stand right in the eyes of God. Um, but the gospel is essentially the good news. As I said, it is a, a means of redemption and salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. Now, when we walk up to somebody, you know, we, we sometimes want to share, you know, I, and I do, I enjoy this. Um, and it's not necessarily about the gospel, but in general, it's that I have good news and I've got bad news. And if you're like me, you'd like to hear the bad news first. Why? Because the good news will cheer you up. Usually it's kind of stupid stuff like, you know, I got bad news is I have a flat tire. Okay, how does that affect me? But the good news is I just saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico. So that's kind of what we have there. And then the person's like, what's going on here? But... The point here is that we can't fully understand the good without the bad, so we need to make it known to the person the bad news. You're in sin. You're under the subject of wrath. You are being cast out of heaven, out of God's kingdom right now, but that can all change if you submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So this is the gospel. That's actually the summarization of the gospel, and you can't necessarily just go up to somebody and say, Jesus loves you, man, come to church with me, because there's more than that. That's not the gospel. And likewise, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot truly appreciate, as I said, the good news without the bad. And all have sinned, all have sinned against God. Because of this, we are worthy of punishment, of the eternal separation from God, and of spiritual death. And it is because Jesus loves us so much that he's provided this way out, which is on the cross, otherwise known as a donkey on the cross, as we found out with Alex Manos. Now, power. This is the third word in which we're going over with. We're actually going a little quicker here. We're on 20 minutes. It's awesome. Um, 
power. This is this. I don't really have much for this. Um, and uh, but I want to make it known that, that the power itself. This is this is so important. The synonyms of this is control. It is authority. It is mastery, dominion, and sovereignty. And there's a couple other words in which you can go with. But as we said, that this is the power of God. This is the authority of God. This is the dominion of God. This is the sovereignty of God. And this is the control of God for salvation. Um, the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. It is by his work alone that we are saved. It is by his grace through faith. And if this God could bring his own body back to life by his own power, by his own control, his own authority, and his own sovereignty, then surely he has the power and the strength. And most importantly, he has the authority to pull all that he chooses out of the clutches of eternal damnation. And the second point here, the fourth one here, is I said, we're going a little quicker, which we might actually get done with 30 minutes. That's kind of cool. Um, what's going on here is salvation. This is the fourth point. What is salvation? And, you know, through the entire scriptures, this is actually a, um, it's kind of a loose word. It's used in a couple different ways. It's salvation from some sort of destruction, um, such as, uh, which we'll get into in a minute, but it's a broad term, and it's used to refer to God's actions to solving unfortunate situations among humankind. And it is the central theme throughout the entire Bible. It is the idea of rescue. Uh, it is by the power of God. It was God who provided Adam and Eve, who provided salvation to Adam and Eve in the garden by shedding the first blood uh, to cover them. And it was God who offered salvation to Cain, though he chose to strike down his own brother. You can see that. He actually warns Cain not to go through with his anger. It was God who provided salvation from slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. And it was God who provided salvation from a physical death in the wilderness by providing them with manna from heaven. And it was God who raised up judges against a rebellious generation who followed these false gods in the efforts to save them from this coming eternal judgment. And it was God who came as an infant, who grew up as a boy into a man and made himself known to the entire wicked generations that the time of salvation is at hand. And it was God who, while he was sleeping, quietly in a fierce storm, could drown his disciples. Through a, through a storm that would drown his disciples, it was this God who provided salvation by silencing the powerful forces of nature. And it was God who stopped a woman from bleeding uh, for 12 years, if I remember correctly. And it was God who took the punishment of sin, not for one, but for an entire body of people who have repented and been forgiven. That's the order that happens. You have to repent of your sins, and then by doing such, you are forgiven. Um, and it was God who saved us, essentially, from ourselves. This is the salvation of God. This is how he works. And it will be God one day to come down from the heavens and rescue his people, his chosen people, from this final judgment on earth. Um, and then finally, this last point here that I have, and we actually have a little bit more time, so I'll kind of go through that uh, briefly. But this last point here that I want to share is believe. As I said here, you know, for those of you who are chiming in a little bit late, we've got uh, Kurt. How you doing, bro? Um, we got these key points. You know, we're not ashamed. Um, and we have that it is the gospel that we're not ashamed of. And why? Because it is the power for salvation. 
And the last one is believe. Now this one I think is rather interesting. It's one of the first things that really come, that I really began to understand as I became into my faith was John 3.16. For those who, for um, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now the problem with that verse, it is taken out of context or completely misunderstood. Because the idea isn't to simply believe in his existence. It isn't simply to acknowledge that God is alive, that Jesus died on the cross. Because as we find out in James, sorry, James 2.19 was just the same thing. That even the demons believe in Jesus Christ. They acknowledge him as the superior. They acknowledge that he died on the cross. They acknowledge that he is the Lord of everything. But yet they still tremble at his name. And even through all of this, they're still damned to hell. So it's not simply an acknowledgement of the existence of Jesus Christ, but believe when you look further into the context of Scripture, what it really means is to trust, to have faith. So when it says to believe, we need to reword that for the sake of understanding to mean trust. You know, it says that whoever trusts in Jesus. And that's what we have here. It says that um, anyone who believes, uh, as I said, not simply, uh, I'm going to reword that here. Um, it says, for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, again, it's everyone who would trust. And this gift itself first comes to the Jews and then the Gentiles. Now, I don't have any notes for this just yet. Um, I didn't think we'd have enough time. But what's going on here is in verse 17, first to the Jews and then the Gentiles, you can see this likeness with the, the wedding, the parable of the wedding feast. This king himself... As I said, I'm going to make this quick. I didn't really prepare to uh, go over this part. And I want to encourage you guys to check out, excuse me, to check out verse 17 um, and study that a little bit more of what that really means. You can do so by, um, well, searching like crazy. And I'll provide some links if you want to get a hold of me. I'll give you some details. Um, but this message was first to the Jews. And if they don't take it, then he's going to give it to somebody who will. Or more importantly, he's going to offer it to his chosen people, the Jews, and then extend that gift to these Gentiles to show that they are still worthy. Now, um, that's really all I have for you all today. Uh, we ran a little bit quick, um, you know, thankfully. Uh, unfortunately, I do like talking, and I'm kind of sad that we didn't even reach 30 minutes. But that is essentially why the believer should not be ashamed. They shouldn't be ashamed of anything. Don't be ashamed of presenting the gospel. Don't be afraid of living out your faith. Don't be afraid of warning people of their sins. Why? Because you're trying to save them. Which again, we'll get more into that next week as we hit a heavy note. Romans chapter 18, which, I'm sorry, not chapter 18, verse cha chapter 1, verse 18, which refers to the judgment and the wrath to come. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. If you do, um, please do consider subscribing, you know, however it is that you want. YouTube uh, links are in there. If you want to financially support this, you can do so as well by going to our Patreon page, get further updates, and even find out some more information on our website. With that being said, I am uh, coughing up over here. I'm getting a little bit warm, so I'm going to go ahead and relax. You guys have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it might be, do not hesitate to get a hold of me. You guys have yourself a very wonderful weekend, and God bless. Thank <laughs> you.